Welcome to a special edition of Run This World. I'm your host, Nicole DeBoom. You're about to listen to an episode in the 10-part Touched by Suicide series. Trigger warning, this episode may include discussions about suicide, mental illness, substance abuse, and self-harm. If these topics are sensitive to you, proceed with caution. It may also contain strong language and is intended for an adult audience. If you are feeling suicidal, thinking about hurting yourself, or are concerned that someone you know may be in danger of hurting themselves, please call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 1-800-273-TALK. That's 1-800-273-8255. The hotline is available 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and is staffed by certified crisis response professionals. Please be sure to share this podcast with anyone who needs to hear it right now. Thank you for listening. Welcome to Touched by Suicide, a podcast series inspired by Steve Tarpini, who died by suicide in 2015. I'm your narrator, Michael Lovato. In this series, we share perspectives from people who have been touched by suicide in different ways. Our goal is to raise awareness and reduce the stigma surrounding suicide and mental health issues. And to always remember, you are not alone. Today we hear the perspective of an employee. His name is Mike Barone. Mike started as an athlete buddy of Steve's and later became an employee of his fast-growing triathlon-focused business. Mike learned more than just triathlon training tips from Steve. Steve taught Mike that the beauty is in the balance, that it's important to take in life, and to take time to smell the roses. Mike loved working for Steve, and he didn't see any signs that Steve would ever consider suicide. If you or someone you know is displaying suicide warning signs, please call the Suicide Prevention Hotline at 800-273-8255. Now, let's hear from Mike and Nicole. I am here today with Mike Barone, one of Steve Charpinian's great buddies. Mike, thanks for chatting with me today. Thank you, Nicole. Pleasure to be here. We are obviously coming together to talk about a very special human being. I want to start out by learning how you met Steve. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, I remember it specifically. It was July of 2005 when I came up with the idea on my 40th birthday to do a half Ironman. And I was being coached by a, a, another sort of team or another person. Um, but only like a, a, like three weeks or so. And it was one of those virtual things and I'm not a big virtual person. And, um, but I heard about Steve Tarpini and I heard about this, you know, team total training and someone suggested to come down and, and you should really do a swim with us. It was down at Tobey beach, Long Island. So all of our Long Island fans will know exactly where that is. And I did. So I did this crazy little swim. We ran on the beach and ran in, swam, came back out. He made us do the swimming and running, swimming and running. And I just followed what the long-haired guy on a surfboard said to do. And then afterwards, I, you know, I walked up and I said, hey, this is what I'm doing. I'm kind of looking for someone that could get me through a half Ironman. And I'm not really loving who I'm working with right now. Is that something do you think I could? Very shy because I didn't know like to get into this. He just looked at me. He says, absolutely. He says, only one condition. He says, we're going to go have some drinks now. He says, you know, we're going to go have a beer or two. He says, as long as you join us. So I was like, this is my crew. 
And from that moment forward, um, I, I was joined uh, Team Total Training on Long Island there with Steve. And um, it was it was great. Great. Great bunch of people. Great community. Um, a few things strike me about that uh, origin story. One is that for your 40th, your big wish was to do a half Ironman, which I love. And I think only really crazy people do, but there's something beautiful in that kind of crazy. What you yeah. say. <laughs> um, but also, you know, that you were sort of wooed by both the long hair or mullet, as some may call it, and uh, the happy, happy hour vibe of that crowd. Right. Very, very chill, very laid back. You know, Steve was a lot of, you know, just, you know, trained by perceived effort, um, not so worried about the heart rate monitors and all the other good stuff. And which which just really was this, you know, the motto that Steve's, uh, you know, team had was the beauty and the balance. And I'll, I'll get into that later at some point. But um, it's a, it's a beautiful sort of saying and very, very um uh, connected with me. Once Steve and I developed a relationship, uh, he would always, uh, I'm a bit of a workaholic and he would always throw me back in. Mike, it's the beauty and the balance. Go for oh, a run, go it. for a swim. Yeah. Kind of like the beauty and the beast, huh? Um, I <laughs> love it. Yeah. <laughs> and that may be relevant too. You know, how would you describe Steve? Um, number one, it's funny. Cause I, I was, I was thinking about this and it's, I, number one comes to mind is like spiritual, right? Um, it's sort of a deep thinker, um, very well spoken, although you wouldn't know, you know, he would always, um, he would consider himself an introvert, but when he was in the right crowd and, and he felt comfortable, like it was, it was party on, it was, it was great. It was just stories would come out, et cetera. So, um, uh, you know, most people, um, yeah, I think he comes across as shy and soft-spoken, um, humble. Um, I know we both share this, this, this blessing and a curse called perfectionism. And, um, you know, if the cones weren't exactly, you know, a certain way to make sure that it's going to be the safest for our transition, he wanted it a certain way. And, and I could appreciate that with him. So that's something that I know we both sort of, uh, um, uh, just appreciated about one another once we started to plan some events together. And he was, I helped in his event company as well. So. It's yeah. It's that's so interesting because, you know, perfectionism afflicts many of us <laughs> at different times in our lives in different ways. And, you know, trying to get things just right, as we know, is usually humanly impossible. And uh, it's interesting to hear you say that. I don't think anyone else has mentioned that quality in Steve before, but I could see how it could at some point come to be uh, a torment. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I can, it's, you know, it's, it's, um, I forget the saying that they have out there, but it's, um, you know, I thought it was a good trait, you know, and Steve, you know, we talk about, you know, uh, he'd often, uh, once I became a little bit more involved with the event company, um, you know, and I'm in the logistics field. So multiple things happening at the same time, transporting people, things, whatever, from point A to point B is, is what I've done all my life. So when I was introduced into this triathlon event planning world, it was like I was in euphoria. I was like, there's so many moving parts here. We can make this better here, and et cetera. Um, there would be a limit. Steve would be like, okay, Mike, 
now we can back down. This is fine the way it is. Um, but, uh, but yeah, no, I, I'd appreciate that. I'd appreciate that. Cause I think for so many years, he grew the business from something that was just such a small, you know, homegrown little thing. Uh, and it was the largest event company on Long Island when it came to triathlon. So it became, it became real big. Um, and, um, you know, it had a lot of moving parts, a lot of moving parts, but uh, it was fun. It was fun. And he made it fun. It wasn't just work. It was just, you know, wanting to be part of the group. So it's clear. We know that Steve had good times and then Steve had increasingly not so good times, you know, closer to his death. What I want to start with is asking you to maybe share a story or two about the good times. Elaborate a little bit more on what you just shared. Oh, it's funny. I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking of um, that half Ironman that I did for the first time, which was the mighty Montauk out in Montauk, Long Island. And um, since after that, I had done it again in 06, 07, 08. And as I become more involved with the event planning, um, and part of team total training and, and everybody that's involved with it. Um, uh, like we, we got through that whole weekend because we knew after Sunday evening, once everything was broken down, um, we were going to this little Irish, uh, this little Irish pub and all the food and the drink and, and just, um, you know, I, that sticks out in my mind. Um, and Irish car bombs, I, I remember. But um, but also Steve hosted um, uh, the team over in Mallorca, Spain, which was which was tremendous. I was fortunate to go over there twice. So he took um, the team over there. And um, that was just that was just some amazing riding. Um, I, I remember some sessions where I didn't think I was going to make it to the summit. Um, but Steve was nice enough to come back and he knew, he knew I was hurting when I stopped talking and he found that fascinating. He was like, so now this is how we, we shut you up. We just take you on a, on a 10% grade for, for, for four miles. Um, so, uh, but yeah, just always wanting to just, you know, just wanting to just everybody to be comfortable. Um, you know, I just remember the, the you know, three o'clock in the morning meeting to plan this event. We had all at least gotten two or three, four hours of sleep, maybe from the night before. Steve didn't sleep because he was out there maybe rechecking the the the, the run course or the bike course, et cetera. Um, but uh, but it didn't matter. Even after being up for 18, 20 hours, we still, you know, he made it fun, always kept it positive, um, never really you know, you wouldn't think there's a negative bone in his body, um, really, uh, just to make people uh, feel comfortable, really, no matter yeah. what the newbie or, or, or the, the pro. Um, and just a side note story, a friend of mine, uh, elementary school friend, um, his wife started to get into triathlon and she would swim down at Eisenhower Park at, a, at an aquatic center there. And she was a former lifeguard, whatever, but she remembers like seeing Steve and like training in a class and, um, and she was just watching and like Steve went over and approached her and was like, Hey, do you, would you like to join us? Like, like, did you, and she was like, Oh no, no, no. I was just watching the sets that you were doing. And she mentioned that story to me. She says, I'll never forget. That's the first time I met him because he didn't know me from anywhere. And he just kind of walked up and 
you know, you don't have to pay your $15 or whatever it was to, to join the group. It was just, would you like to join us? So I, I think his heart was, was one of the biggest, uh, one of the biggest uh, pleasures of, of getting to know him. Yeah, it's just so cool how he cared so much about how other people were feeling. I'm totally yeah. getting that from you. And he yeah. was you he was your coach, he was your employer. Was he also a good friend? Oh yeah. Yep. Um, you know, uh we you know, over the house with Gene and, and Steve and you know, there's one funny story I'll never forget. Um and I guess, I guess this was back when, you know, Steve wasn't a big technology guy, as I had mentioned earlier. And I guess I had like my Blackberry, right? Like that was big in the mid 2000s or something. And um, we were at the kitchen table at his house. And, you know, I think we had just done a run or a bike and we were back at the house and just some bagels and, and cream cheese kind of stuff. And, and then I'm, here I am having a conversation with, but I'm looking at my Blackberry. And then he just like, pushed himself back in the chair, put his hands up in the air. And he's like, Mike, what the, you know what? He, what can't we have a conversation? I'm like, I'm, I'm talking to you. What's the matter? He's just, no, you're on your phone. I was like, no, I can do both. <laughs> so it was just, you know, it's just so funny. Like I look at that and he was just, you know, he'd still have his flip phone, could never get a move to an iPhone. I was like, Steve, you got to get one of these smartphones. I don't know. I got my flip phone. It works fine, you know, but, um, but yeah, you just got to love him for that. He was just a purist. He was. And, you know, it was a respect thing. He was like, I am paying attention to you and you say you're paying attention to me, but I don't believe you. Right. Exactly. <laughs> he was right. He was right. <laughs> hey, we all think we're multitasking, but yeah, it doesn't know. actually work that way. Um, yeah. What would you say are some of the biggest ways that he impacted your life? Uh, well, the, 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 the sport of, of long distance triathlon, I, 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 that was, that changed, you know, sort of the course of, of my triathlon did some sprints in Olympics and, you know, the half was an offset to once I hung out with this group, you know, and I remember being at a diner after a, after a workout, or I think it was like a 10 K we did. And I see all these people sitting around the table and they're talking about doing Ironman. And I'm looking at this, are you crazy? Did you people do that? I was like, I thought only crazy people did that. And they're like, oh no, I'm doing placid. I'm doing that. And I was like, wow. So with that introduction to this group, um, I ultimately, I don't know what I did. I think it was the charity thing. You have to pay like a lot of money to just to get in. And I, and I did that for my first. Um, and then Steve, uh, you know, I did placid four times with Steve right there every year. And um I'd always hear it was awesome because Steve used to come out of the water like, I don't know, like 19th overall. And, you know, we was like one for the old guys, you know, and he'd be coming out in 53 minutes or something like that. Um, but by the end of the run, he didn't care. He'd be walking. We'd be hanging out together. And uh, and again, he was there because, you know, it's almost this respect for the for the sport, you know, um, and not really so much worried about the time. And um you know, that's, that's what I learned where really the, the beauty is in the balance. It, it doesn't really matter of what your time was. It's about the fact that look at this beautiful long training day with all your friends. Um, you know, I think he taught me to slow down a little bit, you know, um, smell the roses, take in life, 
um, you know, that beauty and the balance comes to, to mind. Um, and you can apply that anywhere, whether it be becoming a great swimmer versus not such a good biker or maybe a better runner. Maybe it's too much training. Maybe it's personal life, your family training, you know, so we all struggle with trying to balance things in life. So I, I think it kept that in perspective. Um, uh, yeah, that can be applied. That, that saying can be applied anywhere, whether it be triathlon or life. Yeah. I think, you know, what's hitting me is that it could be said that people with what we talked about earlier, perfectionist tendencies tend to gravitate to a very demanding sport like triathlon, you know, and the, uh, difficult part of it is that it's very hard to be perfect in all three sports, plus your transitions, plus your nutrition, plus your sleep, you know, plus the training, all the things that it takes to do well in the sport. And so you keep mentioning this beauty and the balance. And, um, I think it's so interesting because Steve really, you know, he obviously encouraged people to embrace that but it sounds as if he himself struggled to embrace it. Would you agree? Yeah. Ultimately. Yeah. Ultimately. You know, it's also been said that Steve is, and it was an incredible actor, you know, that he, he led the world to believe that everything was fine. Nothing was wrong. Within all the years that you knew him, you hung out with him, you were close with him. Did you ever see any cracks in the armor? No, I did not. And that's what, that's what really, when I learned of that, I, I was, I, I didn't know what to even think. I mean, I got a text message and I got a phone call from another teammate saying, Hey, did you hear this? Um, and um, yeah, I, I was, I, I had no idea. No idea. Wow. You know, in the years before Steve took his life, um, were you still really close or had he started to pull away? No, no. I think, uh, you know, just, just as much, um, you know, I, I, you know, it's, it's interesting because I recall, um, you know, getting a voicemail. I remember I was working at, at, at my dad's house at the time. We were kind of cleaning out the house or whatever. And I remember getting a phone call. I uh, went to voicemail. Um, I think I left him a voicemail back again. Um, and I often wonder if that voicemail and that call, because it was kind of right before, uh, not right immediately, but a month or two. And I often, often I'm thinking about it now that, that, you know, maybe was it that call that maybe could have made a difference? I don't know if I could have made a difference, um, but I was absolutely you know, blown away. I mean, I was, I was, I was kind of confused at first and, and you go through the gamut of emotions. Um, you know, I go through sad, I go through angry. I go, you know, you just, it's, um, yeah, it was tough. Were you at first, did you know that he had died by suicide? Yes. That's, okay. that's what, uh, yeah. Okay. Did. Um, because you know, in talking with Jean quite a bit, uh, at first she, she didn't necessarily want the world to know it's like a gut reaction for so many people. And it's, it's a difficult one because it keeps hidden and helps perpetuate the stigma about something right. that if you talk more about, 
may lead to less people being successful or, or taking the steps towards their attempts. And, um, so prior to Steve's suicide, had you ever been touched by suicide in your life? Um, not as close as, as someone not, not, he's probably the, the, the first, um, uh, and, and I'm, I'm going to just go back for a moment because when I heard the news, I did not know that to be a fact. I guess it was just, Hey, did you know, you know, Steve passed or, you know, I think, and then once then we kind of, you know, at, at some point, um, uh, and I can't recall if I spoke to Gene or, or whatever it might've been, but, um, so at first I think it wasn't exactly that, but, um, it, that eventually kind of came out. Um, but, uh, but no, pr- prior to this, um, since th- there's, there's a, a friend, a high school friend whose, whose wife, um, uh, you know, had taken a life, um, and, um, yeah, just, uh, and since then, as somebody else that I know, and, and so it's, you know, you don't know, it's kind of like one of these, you know, when I, I use a plane crash analogy, but it seems like when there's one plane crash, all of a sudden in the news, you hear a lot about plane crashes and is yeah. that really just happening or is it just in the news? So I just wonder, you know, are we more in tune with it once, once you, um, you know, once something like this happens, um, but it's, yeah, it's unfortunate. It, it, it really is. It's sad. Well, you know, what sucks the most is that somebody you love and care about is going through something so painful and they believe that the world would be better without them. Yeah. And that is, that's the heartbreaking part of this whole story that I think is true of, you know, it's constant in anybody's story about suicide. Um, One of the things we're wondering, even with doing this series, is if we think public perception about suicide has changed in the last six years, you know, you just said this is the first time it had touched you closely. Has it become easier for you to talk about? Has have, Have you felt like you are better able to help maybe comfort or give advice to people whose loved ones you know, die by suicide, like talk about the changes in the last six years. Yeah, I, I, I do. And I don't know if, you know, I know when, when Gene was sending me sort of excerpts from the, from the book, uh, the slipping away book, um, you know, I, I'd start to read that and, you know, it, it's, I guess there's a lot of different feelings that go through when you read that. Cause you, you, you read about this amazing life and you say, wow, this is, this is awesome. Um, but then you realize one of the things that, that often I, I think about is, you know, how painful things must have been to think that is the alternative. And, and I guess that's the message that I, you know, you, you, I think the answer, the short answer to your question is yes. I think I can talk about it. I mean, just about three weeks ago, um, I was speaking to the, the friend who's, who's, you know, whose wife or ex-wife had, had taken her life and, and. I was a little bit more comfortable talking to him about it. I actually talked to him about this interview and I said, Hey, um, I actually shared some, some questions and, and I said, you know, and, and he read it and he's like, wow. And, and we had this like open conversation in a car while we were driving with, with somebody else in the car. Um, so yeah, I think a hundred percent, I think in, you know, whether it just be, you know, 
from books like like Gene wrote, or it's in the news, or we hear about it more. I I, I think it's you'd hate to say it's it's not. You don't want to say it's more common, but I think it's more common to talk about it and be upfront about it. So you hope that if people are having this conversation, maybe they're realizing that there is more help out there and maybe there are some alternatives. Absolutely. I mean, I actually think it may not even be more common, but people didn't come forward. They were ashamed and they hid it and they didn't talk about it. And then when other people say, this is how my loved one died, then people come forward but often still undercover. Um, And I'm so happy to hear that you are able to have those open conversations. I mean, the hope is that we can intercept people on their way to this path and not just constantly be comforting people through our whole lives. You know, that's our hope. Um, And in doing so, you know, one of the things to, to be able to understand and recognize are warning signs. Looking back to you, you know, it sounds like you were very surprised, shocked, in fact. But, you know, when you really dig back, were there any warning signs that you can see? I don't. I mean, the only the only thing that, that would, and again, this is really like digging and saying, hey, but, uh, you know, at some point as I worked with Steve through the, um, you know, his event company, so just as a consultant, it was a friendship, you know, and, and you know, I noticed that we kind of, you know, went through like three race directors. And I said to him, I said, hey, listen, I said, I'm your friend and friends can tell you anything, right? And he's like, yeah, of course. I said, here's my concern, right? So I don't know if that was just the, pers- you know, the perfectionism, you know, the, the sort of the perfectionism that that he just wanted things a certain way and maybe people weren't delivering on that. Um but yeah, n- not really. I, I didn't, I, I can't say it. I know he used to take, um, you know, a trip out West, um, you know, kind of a retreat thing. And, and he was a big yoga guy and, and that was all. I just looked at it at face value. Um, you know, you, you learn later on that maybe it was more than just a, a, a yoga retreat type thing. Um, but, you know, I, I'd like to think that, you know, he was, he was attempting to get some help for this. Um, but um, but no, honestly, you know, I, I, I did not. You know, let's say you were able to get that phone call six years ago. You know, he called, you call back, you play phone tag. And he actually said, like, I'm struggling. What would you say to him? Yeah, I, I, I think I'd want to, you know, meet, you know, obviously. Um, and, and just look in the eyes because I think when you do that, you're really showing somebody that you care rather than the phone. Um, but you know, the, what comes to mind immediately is, you know, the person may be thinking of, you know, their self-worth. I think if they think that they're, 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 they're not worth, you know, being on this earth. And I, I think one of the things I would share is just the impact that he's had on, on my life personally. And, you know, why I almost need him, you know, in my life and, and, you know, sort of tr- kind of throw that, I want to say guilt, but sort of just realize the impact that you made on me. And, and, you know, and it, it, it was tremendous. You know, I, I look at things that I've learned, not just from the triathlon world, but just, you know, looking at life in, in general, um, you know, that, that just makes you, you know, want to, yeah, I'd, I'd want to share that with him to let him know the impact that it's made on my life. And my God, if it's just me, think about the 
you know, hundreds of thousands of other people that have watched your DVDs, your videos, your whatever it might be that are that are, are getting something from you. Um, maybe it's time for us to give back. So, you know, what do you need me to do for you? You know, so um, I'm not sure he accepted as much help as um, as maybe he could have because he was always, hey, no, I, you know, I got it. I got it covered. Don't worry. Um, do you want me to do this tonight? You get some rest. No, I'll I'll do it. Um, you know, so maybe maybe that could have convinced him to 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 get some help. You know, that actually sort of strikes a chord with me and maybe everybody listening. None of us want to accept help. I mean, we all want to try to do everything on our own. You and I are really in a unique position right now because you just had a surgery and I'm about to have a surgery and we have to accept help. You can't, you can't recover a hundred percent on your own. Um, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts about that? Just in general? Yeah, it's, it's what rings in my mind is my wife saying like, why didn't you tell me, you know, I'm like, because I just try to you know, button my shirt or tie my shoes or do something with a, with, with the broken wrist. But, um, I think, um, yeah, maybe that's, you know, cause I think, I don't know, this is really deep now, but maybe do we see that as a sign of weakness and therefore we'll know I'm strong and I need to do this kind of thing, you know, on my own. Um, but I've learned in my older years now to, it's okay. It's okay to it's ask for help. And I learned once um, they uh, sort of this self-help person made a comment about, you know, Mike, you always out there helping others. Like you're always doing, you know, whatever it might be um, by you not asking for help or accepting help, you were depriving that other person of the same joy you feel by helping. I was like, and it made me think. And I said, wow. So now I'm able to do that because I say to myself, you know what? I want to let that person has that same need that I do. And I'd love to help be that person that, but maybe I'm depriving that person of, of, of that. So it's one way to look at it. Oh, that's such a great, a great thought. And uh, I mean, we all hate the person who won't let us help them. And we don't hate the person, but right. we, we right. want, when we want to help and we put our hands out to help and people are pushing our hands away, we're like, oh, I can't stand this right now. Cause everybody, <laughs> everyone feels right. helpless. Um, so what would you like to say to Steve now today? Ah, oh, that I love him. Um, you know, and, and he should know that, that he still lives on because the things that I've learned from him, um, whether it be a training tip or, a, you know, thoughts on life or whatever it may be, I share those and I kind of pay that forward. Um, and I always, uh, always loved this one event he put on, which was like a first timers little sprint triathlon, um, again, at Eisenhower Park on Long Island. And it was it was great because it was mostly newbies and I was able to then pass on to all those new folks, all the little tricks and things that Steve had shared with me. Um, and even beyond that, even, you know, there's a funny story when, when I did Iron Man again for the first time, Steve allowed me to stay in his condo 
and you know, with about you know, about eight of us or nine of us, and I was, you know, your first time. You remember the first Iron Man? You have like a thousand questions. What's going to look like? Where do I put the cap on? Do we get in the water? Are we going to be a floating start? And so, at some point, Steve just looked at me and he said, "Mike," he says. I'm going to give you one question per hour. So choose your questions very, very carefully. So I'd have to look at my watch and say, okay, I got to round up my questions and make sure I ask the, the good ones and only the good ones. So, um, so that's a thought when you think about all those questions I had asked him, I actually put together um, sort of a, a standard operating procedure or like a, a, a list, a page of all of these newbie things that you would want to know before you do your first Ironman. And I got that from a lot of what Steve trained me on. And I've actually passed that to some first timers and it blew them away. They were like, I can't believe it. You have a spare, you know, the sneakers, a pair of spare sneakers and they, whether in the Ziploc bag, cause you never know it's going to rain by the time you get to transition and blah, 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 whatever. Um, so yeah. Uh, so that document lives and a lot of what I share with people I've, I've learned from Steve. You know, I just love, I love hearing Steve's legacy, but some may say that by keeping Steve's legacy alive, it sends the wrong message um, because he died by suicide, that maybe his life is less worthy to remember because he chose to take his own life. I, I find that offensive, but I understand at the other side, how, what some people might be thinking, you know, um, I wondered what your thoughts are. No, I, I don't, I don't, yeah, no, I don't see that at all. I, I actually see that as offensive as well. I'd, I'd love to have a conversation with someone on their thought process because it doesn't, it, it's something that happened or maybe that person doesn't understand you know, again, I go back to how much pain must someone have been in to think that is the alternative. And when you, you really stop and think about that, I, yeah, I, I want to take that person on in a very colorful debate as to what their thought process is and probably not be friends with that person. But I, you know, I'd love to see that debate. You'd be amazing. <laughs> I'll be on the sideline cheering for you. Um, Mike, this has been an awesome conversation. And, you know, for me, it's about bringing awareness to this very important issue and hoping that we can provide some perspective so that if people are out there suffering, you know, they have another, another voice to listen to and to know that they are worthy of staying in this world with us. Um, do you have any final thoughts that you want to share before we wrap today? Uh, no, nah, just, just, you know, a great spiritual, you know, leader, thinker, friend, um, that would do absolutely anything for anybody. So, um, Steve, if you're listening, love you. And, um, I'm glad we had an opportunity. I want to thank you for allowing me to, to talk about my friend a little bit. I think Steve is listening and I, I really have a feeling he knows he is loved. When someone dies by suicide, it is common for the survivors to erase that part of their journey and not talk about how their loved one died. When this happens, it perpetuates the stigma around suicide, which makes it harder for people to reach out when they need help. Steve Tarpinian died by suicide in 2015, but he also left a beautiful legacy of love and support to many people. 
By sharing a story and talking openly about suicide, it is our goal to help people who are struggling reach out for the help they need before it is too late. And by offering a glimpse into the perspectives of those who are touched by suicide, we hope to help those who are struggling with suicide or are suicide loss survivors. Please remember, you are not alone. If you or someone you know is displaying suicide warning signs, please call the Suicide Prevention Hotline at 800-273-8255. Thank you for listening. Please share this podcast. You never know who might need to hear it right now.